0: Welcome to Life Point Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus.
1: Genesis 18, starting at verse 16. Then the men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you sweep them away? Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose 40 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place.
0: Today is an important Sunday. It's our annual business meeting, and it's the end and beginning of a new ministry year. So I aim to do a couple things today. We are going to continue in our series through the book of Genesis, but with some careful planning, we're actually also sharing with you a theme or a focus for this next ministry year. And this focus is a one-year focus that helps us take our our first step towards our next steps, 2026 four-year vision. And I want to share about that today, and that's going to come straight from our text here in Genesis. I want to begin with a question. Who's the most important person you've ever had a conversation with? Who's the most important person you've ever had a conversation with? I have never had a conversation with an active president of the United States, but I have also not had a conversation with a former president either. (laughs) Nobody important, really. Uh, On my track record, I've never had a conversation with a secretary of state or a senator. In fact, I've never had a conversation with any president of any country on the planet, ever. But I talk regularly with the judge of all the earth. Have you ever had a conversation with God? It's strange when I put it that way, isn't it? A conversation with God. It's stunning. It's amazing. When you think about it. And if I'm honest, as amazed as I am with the prospect of prayer, if I'm really honest... My practice of prayer doesn't seem to follow as it should. Do you feel the same way? Let I me mean, think about it. If we're, we're really honest with ourselves, uh, think about it this way, for example. What's one word that you would use to describe your prayer life lately? If you only had one word just recently, what's a word you'd use to describe your prayer life? There's lots of words that might come to mind. Um, Maybe for you, a description like inconsistent or routine or absent even might be the word. Maybe obligatory, you know, when you're squeezing in that dinner prayer. Oh, don't eat yet. Don't eat yet. Let's pray. We're supposed to pray. Or maybe dutiful, you know, as you're falling asleep at night and you think, oh no, I got to squeeze in a prayer today. Maybe your prayer life feels thankful and peaceful and sweet, but maybe it feels repetitive or small or useless. What one word would you use to describe your prayer life lately? How about bold? Would anyone be so bold as to describe their prayer life is bold. Bold. Today I want to explore two questions. What would it take to have a prayer life that is regularly bold? And what would happen if you did? Those are two questions today. Abraham is a man who we've been tracing his life and his journey of faith. And if Abraham had one word to describe his prayer life in this section, it'd be bold. Bold. And I want to unpack then why his prayer life is bold and how we can share in that too. But before we get to that, we need to see what what led Abraham to make such a bold prayer before the judge of all the earth. So open your Bibles with me and, and see in the text as we start. In verse 16, if you've been journeying with us, you remember last week in the the first half of chapter 18, I think I said 16, we're in chapter 18. The first half of chapter 18, we saw that Abraham is having this amazing meal with three mysterious men. Middle of the day, he's a great host. And as he's having a conversation over dinner with these men, Abraham is realizing whom he's speaking with. In a a theological term, we would say this is a theophany. This is an appearance of God before a human. God is taking on human form and he's making an appearance to Abraham and it's taking form in these three men. And there's a little debate about exactly how you splice up these three men, but I think the most logical reading of this is probably two of these men are messengers or angels, and and one of these men is, is representing the Lord, as Abraham addresses him that way. After they finish the meal, they stand up from the meal, and as a good host would do, Abraham accompanies his three guests to set them out. Their way. We see that in verse 16 of chapter 18. He sets them out on their way. He starts walking with them. And then something strange happens here. And we're we're not exactly sure how this is happening, but God Himself clues us into something. And and the best way that I see this probably happening is, is probably all four of these men are walking together, and maybe the Lord has a little huddle as they're walking and leans into the two other men to ask this question. Verse 17, God says this. We hear him processing. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? I don't know if Abraham's within earshot here. It's possible he's hearing this, but I'm imagining in my head as I read this text that maybe the Lord is leaning into the the two other angels. And he's saying, in essence, should we bring Abraham into our plan? We know what we're about to do. Should we let him know ahead of time? And God himself then, we're, this is amazing. We're, we're seeing the processing and the reasoning of the judge of all the earth. And he gives two reasons for why he wants to bring his servant Abraham into his plan ahead of time. Those, those two reasons come in verse 18 and 19. In verse 18, God says the reason why. He chose Abraham and his descendants to be a blessing to The nations. This isn't an average guy that God's talking to. It's his chosen servant who's going to bless all the nations of the world. The next reason gives gives the how. How is Abraham going to be a blessing to every nation on earth? And verse 19 gives the second reason. How is he to be a blessing? By walking in God's ways before all the earth in righteousness and justice wisdom could be described as living life with the grain of reality and God has established that grain line and so you want to be a blessing to others you walk out how God has designed to live in holiness and righteousness and justice taking up the cause of the weak and loving people. That's how Abraham was to be a blessing to the world. So it makes sense. It follows that God would say, should we bring Abraham into our plan? The answers are resounding, yes, yes. I want my servant to see what I'm about to do. And here's a third reason. Not just so that this man may be a blessing to the nations and walk in righteousness and know how to do that, But so that he might see how not to walk. How not to walk. You see, God brings him into his plan of what he's about to do to a wicked, evil place. And so he wants wants Abraham to know how not to walk. So the decision's made and then in verse 20, I imagine he says, then there's a pause and it says, the Lord said again. I wonder if now he's speaking up a little bit louder. He's finished the huddle and now Abraham's walking a little bit further behind and maybe the Lord says a little bit louder. In verse 20, God says this, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. I'm going to go check it out. Uh, This language is incredibly strong. The word outcry that occurs here twice, when that occurs in other places in the Old Testament, it's representative of a people group who are desperate, oppressed people who are in dire moments. They cry out for justice. And things have gotten so bad in Sodom that even this outcry, it's coming from the very people in Sodom. Pagan people are crying out at the injustice that they see in their own city. It's gotten that bad. Sinful people are going, even this is icky for us. This is bad. They're crying out to God. God hears their cry. And then then he says something in verse 20. He says, I will go down to see it and then I will know. And and we, we need to remember, this is God talking. He doesn't need to go down and see uh, th- this is just like at the Tower of Babel, when they built the big tower and God says, I'll come down and see the tower. He's not nearsighted. <laughs> he doesn't have to get up close to the tower. But this is, a, this is an anthropomorphism. I fan- Turn to somebody next to you say, anthropomorphism. Very good, Yes big, long theological word that just means God's being described in human terms that we can better understand what he's doing. And that's what God's doing. He's saying, I'm going to go check it out in the flesh firsthand. And the reason is that when God makes a judgment, there will be no doubt to anyone that he is making a judgment with firsthand eyewitness perfect perspective on the condition of Sodom. There will be no doubt whether this leader, this judge, is making a good judgment or a poor judgment at all. So, God says, I'm going to go down and see things, this cesspool of evil in Sodom. But then Abraham does something bold. Very bold, doesn't he? Abraham approaches God and begins talking to God. I love how the message paraphrase of this text actually renders the Hebrew. This is Eugene Peterson. He's studied Hebrew a lot more than I have, and I appreciate how he's rendered this particular phrase. He, He says it this way in the paraphrase of the message. He says that, Abraham stood in God's path, blocking his way. That's more forceful than just standing next to him. It's it's like, I almost imagine Abraham as they're walking, he jumps in front of God as the two other angels keep walking and he's confronting God to have a conversation face to face with the maker Of heaven and earth. Who's the most important person you've ever had a conversation with? Abraham jumped in front of God to talk to him and confront him. It's amazing. How could he have such boldness before God? I want to just draw out this morning in our limited time three principles that I see in this text of how we can have bold prayer. Here's our three principles. I'll give you them, and then we'll walk through these one at a time. First, there's the posture principle, the ground principle, and the faith principle. So, first, the posture principle. I want to suggest this morning that bold prayer has a posture of humble confidence. That's the posture of bold prayer. Look at verse 22. Abraham has the boldness to confront God and even ask God questions about his plan. Who who is Abraham to question God? He questions him. He asks him, That's boldness. He steps in front of his way. He confronts him. He holds on to God. And yet, notice the posture of Abraham repeated three times. Abraham knows his position before God. The three examples come up here. Look in verse 27. He says, this is Abraham saying of himself, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Who's the most important person you've had a conversation with? I who am but dust and ashes. He knows his position. He's bold, but he's humble. And then again, two more times. He says in verse 30, oh, let the Lord not be angry and I will speak. And then again in verse 32, just once more, one more time, don't be angry. Can I make one more request? Do you see the tension, the paradox? He's, Bold to step in front of God, and he's humble to know he's dust and ashes before the maker of heaven and earth. What's your posture when you have a conversation with the most important being in existence? What's your posture? How do you approach God? Abraham was called a friend of God. And that's amazing. That describes the intimacy and closeness and fellowship that they had, but Abraham also described himself as dust and ashes. The first principle, if we want to have bold prayer, we need to approach God appropriately with humble confidence. Second, it's not only the posture principle, but the ground principle. Use the word, not not ground like earth, but ground, basis, foundation, or reasoning. Ground principle. Bold prayers are grounded in God's character and word. In other words, bold prayers base the reasoning of the request on who God is and what he says. That's the ground. That's the reasoning for the request before God. And I see Abraham following this request. Not only does he approach God boldly and he does so with humble confidence, but look how he does it. What's the reasoning for his request? Abraham does not say, come on, God, my nephew Lot is there. Or it would be really nice. I mean, Sodom, they have the best prime rib. I mean, it's, and if you burn that up, where's there gonna be another place like that? Austin's Grill can't put another location anywhere. It has nothing to do with him. The reasoning, the ground is God himself. Look at verse 25. Look at how he grounds his request. Far be it from you, God, to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare is the wicked, Far be it from you. And then he asks this question. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Don't you see? Abraham's saying, God, do this because of who you are. It's a rhetorical question. You are the righteous, holy judge. I know you do Right. Therefore, because I know you do right, do who you say you are and what you say you will do. That's the ground. That's the basis and the reasoning of his request. If you're honest and you analyze your prayer life, what is often the basis of your request before God? Maybe maybe if you're honest, you have the the bargain prayer that's like a trade. You ever prayed this prayer? Lord, please help me pass this exam and I I promise I will will not cuss for a week, a whole week, if you will just let me pass this exam. Or or God, I'll I'll give my whole life to you if you would would just, just let me have this one thing. Do you see the bargaining? What's the basis? What's the ground? It has nothing to do with God. The ground of your approach to God is my comfort, my desires. I'm the basis. When I look in the mirror, that's not a very persuasive request. God, please do this for me because I'm a pretty average guy who messes up and sins and I just want this. What's the ground? What's the basis of your prayer? You wanna have bold prayers? You need a posture of humble confidence, but you need a ground that's better than yourself. You need a reason for your request that's, that's grounded in who God is and what he says he will do. Posture principle, ground principle, and finally, the faith principle. The faith principle. Bold prayer anticipates God to change things or change us. This is the faith principle. Bold prayer anticipates God to change things or to change us. I see this in verse 33. Abraham has had this amazing dialogue with God and he he talks God down from 50 to 10. 50 to 10. And at the end of that dialogue, Abraham finishes talking with God and he returns to his dwelling place. And I wonder what that night was like. Did Abraham sleep well with impending justice It's it's about to come down on the city where his nephew lives. Did he sleep well? Or did he have faith? I, I wonder, this great man of faith, did he walk away thinking God will do right? Whatever happens, I trust him. Did he anticipate that his prayer changed things at all? And I see faith in Abraham's response. This entire section functions like bookends. The next three sermons are gonna be bookends. I'm opening it and Abraham's standing on a hill looking down on Sodom, interceding with God. At the other bookend of this story in three weeks, we see Abraham coming to that very same place. It's just the next morning. And we see this in chapter 19 chapter 19, verse 27. You can glance there. 1927. It's this strange note as they're talking about what's going on with Lot and Sodom, but the author draws us back to Abraham. In verse 27, he says, and Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't you see His anticipation of God's answer. Abraham didn't pray with God face to face and then go off to something else. Early in the morning, before the sun rises, he's running back to the spot and he's looking for God's answer. He's anticipating it. He says, I know I've prayed. I know God heard me. What will he do? He anticipates an answer. But not only does Abraham anticipate that God will change things because of his prayer, he also has faith that God will change him because of the prayer. Don't you see, God was doing so much more than just allowing Abraham to intercede. And it did make a difference. We're going to see in the next chapters that Lot and his family are spared because Abraham prayed. But but God was doing something more. He was changing Abraham. He was teaching in prayer Abraham something about who God is. And he learns a few things. He learns that, one, God is heading to judge Sodom and that God is just, but he is holy. When sulfur rains down on a city and he sees in the morning ash and smoke rising, he learns in prayer who God is, that he's incredibly holy, and that sin is a serious problem. But he also learned in prayer as he talked God down from 50 to 10. You know what he's doing when he's doing that? He's testing God's mercy and where the line is. And you know what he learned in prayer? With every answer, yes. Yes, yes, for 50, 40, 10. God's mercy is great. That's what he learned in prayer. God would spare an entire city of evil cesspool if there were just 10 righteous. That's great mercy. Great mercy in in the sad commentary of Sodom as there were not even 10 destruction. Don't you see prayer anticipates that God will change things, but it also anticipates that God's going to change us. You don't commune with the God of the universe and walk away unchanged. It changes us too. This is the faith principle. What, what do you anticipate after you pray with God? I mean, do you really, when when you make the request, are you waiting on the answer? Do you wake up early the next day and go, God, all right, I asked. I'm looking. I prayed. I know you heard me. I'm looking for the answer. Or are you anticipating that, God, I interacted with you. I know when I come before you that I will be changed. Do you anticipate? Or do you make your prayer and forget about it? And then make 27 other requests before you even look for the first one to be answered. Bold prayer. Bold prayer is the kind of prayer that approaches God with humble confidence. Bold prayer is the kind of prayer that's grounded in who God is and what he's said. And bold prayer anticipates God to change things or to change us, that's bold prayer. What's one word you'd use to describe your prayer life? Is it bold? What would happen if it was? I I wanna give us in a practical way, a, a model for prayer that I picked up years ago that I think really effectively summarizes all three of these principles in one pattern of prayer. And there's lots of patterns out there and and this one's been particularly helpful for me. And I, I think years ago, the first person I heard it from was John Piper in the context of how to read the Bible to, he said, read it supernaturally. But I've applied this prayer model in a variety of ways in my life. So much so that I've prayed this prayer for this sermon this morning on my knees in my office. And it's the APTAT prayer, the APTAT prayer. I'll walk through this briefly, but APTAT starts, uh, it stands for admit, pray, trust, act, and thanks. Admit, pray, I'll walk through this first. APTAT prayer, admit. The place to start with God is admitting that apart from him, You can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. God, I can't even breathe the next breath of oxygen into my lungs without your grace sustaining me. I can't do anything. Don't you see how that begins with a posture, a right posture before God admitting your position? This is Abraham saying, God, I admit I am dust and ashes as I approach you. And then after we have appropriately placed ourselves, then we pray. Make the request, make the ask for God's help, pray. But but this is the part, this is the part, we get here, we get to pray. This is the part that's transformed my prayer life for this sermon. You put that prayer with the ground in God's word. That's what's transformed my prayer life. That's, that's the T for trust. So you take a promise from God's word. You take an attribute of his character and you beef up that request with God's word. So this is how it works this morning, okay? Uh, I'll, well, maybe I'll finish them. Then you act. So A is act. That's something we often forget. Sometimes you just pray and then you sit around. Oh, gee, I hope God will do something with my finances, or my relationships. No, we act. We pray, but we act. You go do it. And then you follow up with things. So this is my prayer this morning. God, who am I to herald your word to your people? I am dust and ashes, God. And I know if you don't show up, this this moment is useless. It's meaningless. Please, God, I admit my position before you. I desperately need you. And then I pray, God, I need you to open hearts. I need your word to communicate your truth. I need lives to be transformed. I need your help. But I don't stop there. This morning, I beef it up with Isaiah 41.10. And I say, God, your word says, fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So God, according to your word, do what I'm asking. That's a different prayer. I'm not praying because I just want something. I'm praying because it's in accordance with your will. This is who you are, God. You love the proclamation of your word. So help me according to your promise and then I act and I stand and I preach but I do so with faith I'm believing as Lonnie's reading the text I'm rehearsing that promise over and over so I step up to this place and I go you are with me you are my God I have no reason to be dismayed I'm acting in faith and then when I drive home today in my cute Honda Accord you know what I'm going to do on Prospect and LeMay, I'm going to say, thank you, God. Thank you. And that's prayer. So that I found this model to be incredibly helpful. And if, don't you see, it follows those principles. It starts with a posture of humble confidence. It makes a request that's grounded in God's word. And then it acts in faith, anticipating that God heard me and we'll do what he said. This is, this is one model, a model for bold prayer. You can check out more at the link. Okay, this is bold prayer. All of this would be wonderful, except it's not a Christian sermon. Because a lot of people agree, like our culture, everybody that's a, the you-do-you the you culture, oh, you pray, yeah, I pray too. Sending up prayers and thanks, good vibes. We're cool with that. But there's something different when a Christian prays. There's something different. It's the great confidence we have as Christians, and it's Christ, Christ himself. And there's lots of places we could go to show you this, but I'll just read. Hear God's word of why you, Christian, should have Utter confidence when you approach God in prayer. Hear God's word, Hebrews four fourteen. Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, And here's the kicker. Let us then with confidence, boldness, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our confidence, Christian, is Christ himself. So I'm not just praying Isaiah 41 10 is the ground I'm coming to God and I'm going I know I'm dust and ashes God but your son bled for me so according to his sacrifice as my mediator I come not on my merit but on Christ's merit how much more father will you hear me if I come to you with your son this is the confidence we have in prayer. And it's Christ. It's Christ. Who's the most important person you've had a conversation with? Have you ever talked to God? What a privilege. What an opportunity. And we, we've set out this audacious four-year strategic plan for our church, and we've entitled it Next Steps 2026. And I ask, where where do you even start with a strategic plan like this? What's the first place? What's a theme, God, that I I could give for our church to rally around and focus on for the first year of a four-year plan? And it's this bold prayer. We want to see God do bold things with a bold strategic plan. We, we need to be a people who embraces our value as a church that we pray bigger than we plan. We got a great plan. But year one, we need to pray bigger than it. We need to pray bold prayers. And so I'm I'm inviting us, church, for this next ministry year for us to focus as a church on bold prayer. We'll have initiatives, opportunities, rhythms of prayer, training on prayer, resourcing on prayer. We've got a year ahead of us for this, but as a starting place, would you begin joining us to pray towards our four-year strategic plan to see God move in powerful ways in our church? That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.